Hey everyone, it's Chris Hewitt here, just jumping in real quick before this week's episode of the Empire Podcast to let you know that this week's episode was recorded, in case you haven't already guessed, before the news broke of the death of the Queen, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. So that is why there is no mention or reference to the biggest news story in many a moon in this week's episode, in case you were wondering. And obviously our thoughts are with anyone affected by this at this very sad time. Okay, now it's time for this week's episode. Enjoy. On the Empire Podcast this week, there's murder and mystery and mousetraps galore as we talk to the star and director of New Who Done It, a new done it. See how they run, Sam Rockwell and Tom George. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that may just be coming back from paternity leave and may have been immersed in hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of children's TV over the last couple of weeks. But trust us, folks, this podcast is not going to be dedicated to banging on about Bluey. Yes, sir. This week's episode of the Empire podcast is called Hanging on about Bluey. Oh no, how did that happen? Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, back after a couple of weeks off on, yes, paternity leave. And thanks once again to the many of you who tweeted me, the dozens, literally dozens of you who tweeted me to send on congratulations and well wishes. Uh, it really does mean a lot to myself and my wife and our new little one as well. But now I'm back, 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 having survived a leadership challenge in the time that I was off. And you know what, folks? I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks, thinking about the aims of this podcast. And let me be clear, <laughs> I intend to deliver, deliver, deliver on those aims. What are those aims? Let me be clear when I tell you that the aims of this podcast are the aims of this podcast. And if there's one thing that I aim to be even more clear on is that my aim is to deliver, deliver, deliver those aims. And the people who can help me figure out what those aims are, sorry, Deliver on those aims are my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Put your trust, sorry, trust in Helen O'Hara. Hello. Hello, Helen. How are you? I'm, I'm glad you're back. It's lovely to uh, to see you still in one piece, you know, looking slightly more scarred by life than you were two weeks ago. Like you've had less <laughs> sleep and more worry, but also more bluey. So more hey, Dougie. You know what? I think I think the, the the balance is fine. I probably had the same amount of sleep as I had previous to this uh, situation, but I've had much more bluey and hey, Dougie, in my life, and that is a very very good thing. Uh, we're also joined once again, of course. Uh, I'm trying not to swear because I'm being a bit more kid friendly. <laughs> Our great big fudge and nerd, it's James Dyer. I propose a vote of no confidence in Christopher Hewitt's leadership. <laughs> Helen, do you second this motion? I second. I second. <laughs> I third this motion. How do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? <laughs> Apparently, it was just this easy. How are we both? We are okay. How was your How was your 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 break? Did you miss us? <laughs> I break. I say break as if you weren't literally on every single day talking work stuff. But <laughs> yes, my break. My break during which every single day I shit you not, I was either writing something or editing something or recording something or interviewing somebody. Uh, it's hilarious. Someone from someone from the office uh, emailed me the other day, going, "Hey, Chris, 
Sorry to disturb your holiday. <laughs> fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, fudge uh, yes. you, motherfudger. I am not on holiday right now. I know when I'm not dealing with that, obviously I'm dealing with you know the the wonderful situation. Um, just a quick recap. My wife and I have adopted, in case you're unaware. It's me. It's James. He is a handful. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I hate you. Um, <laughs> he paints on the walls. He shits on the floor. And at 3 a.m., he'll wake you up with a theological debate that only he can win. It's it's almost impossible <laughs> to deal with James. Uh, no, we've adopted a little four-year-old girl, and she is an absolute delight. And it has changed my life in many, many ways. But I'm going to try not to, as I have banged on about my wife relentlessly in the last... Um, God, how many years of the podcast? Now? Ten and a half Ten. years. I'm going to try not to do the same with our daughter, but uh, <laughs> mentions will invariably uh, weave their way in from time to time. I, for one, am very much in favour of you having adopted baby Thanos, and I look forward to her <laughs> appearing on the podcast many times in the future. Oh, what gender swap Thanos? It's a political correctness gone mad. Ah, that's a small price to pay for everything. salvation, Helen. <laughs> oh, uh, but I took two weeks off as well, which was nice after the yes. pilot 200 show, which nearly broke me. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get through that, which is I was yeah. very pleased to do. Uh, and Tough, I went to organising an all-day jamboree. Yeah, it is. It is. It yeah. is brutal. Even if you have ripped off the format from someone else, but it gave uh, me a newfound respect and admiration for myself. For yourself, uh, yes. <laughs> also, me. I felt about how the hell did Chris do this? It is absolutely brutal. And we had like f- 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 ten more guests than you. Twenty more guests oh, than you. Whatever. I don't, I don't, I just, whatever. You know, we had Spider-Man. Uh, Who did you have? He did have Spider-Man. I did not he have had us. He demanded I, yeah, our right. presence. <laughs> you. Having not allowed us on his podcast for four years, uh-huh. he demanded that we turn up. If you're just bitter that you it, it, all fair and square lost the quiz, you know, to a superior team, then that is okay, on you. Okay, oh let's be gosh. very clear about this. Like, decreeing that the final question is worth 100 points <laughs> does not mean that you won the quiz. What? We all know what happened, James. It means we were 99 points ahead of that point. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure the last question was only uh, answerable by the pilot team, if I'm right in thinking. I don't know what anyway. you're talking about. Yeah. I, I, I resent the implication that foul play was at work. But, it was, uh, it was you a resemble fun, the a implication day. that foul play was yes. at work. I mean, it was, a, it was a really fun day. There was a, there was a, a big old quiz. Uh, so James, he was stung by the fact that the Pilot TV podcast team were so roundly defeated <laughs> during the big, great big Empire pod quiz at the mm. episode 500 day. And so he found revenge and then watched as his house built on sand collapsed in front of his eyes. But halfway through that quiz, I was I was sitting there thinking, how is it that the team that doesn't do a podcast dedicated to TV is doing so much better on TV questions than the team that does do a podcast dedicated to TV? And it's just because we're better, Chris. <laughs> I mean, it is possible that that my sensibilities skew rather more heavily towards you two than they do towards the pilot team. But, you know, what are you going to do? They might have is that going up as a podcast, by the way? Shoot, it was well, good. No, it was good I was fun. going to, because actually it's really, really fun. But it, I think it's too visual. Like the, my, and I'm very proud of it, my, the folk in our stars round, I feel. I feel it doesn't really work if you can't That's see true. Peter Folk. So, that is uh, true. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, I'm not sure I will. I'm going to put up a few other little bits from the 200 show. I'm going to put up the, the screenwriters panel that we did, because it was great. Uh, but mm-hmm. I will sort of drip feed those out over time, i.e. when I get around to editing them. So what did you do on your holidays, James? 
Well, I'm glad you asked, Helen. I went to Disneyland Paris. Absolute uh, bastard. Well, yes. Well, because they've got all the Marvel stuff here. So the new Avengers Campus thing is obviously open in Disneyland Paris. So I hopped over to there. But more importantly, I stayed in the Marvel Hotel. So this is this is the the Hotel New York Art of Marvel place. So it's not like it's not like a secret cinema thing where you have got like Iron Man walking around. It's not that kind of thing. Thankfully, because I think that might have been a little bit too much. Um, but it's it's basically it's just very close. They have lots of comic book art everywhere. So it's like New York styled, but with comic art. So in your in my room, I had a big Spider-Man on one wall and I had a big ghost spider on another wall, which was very, very cool. And there was a huge Hulk mural at the end of our floor as well. And it's just that stuff all the way through. And I loved it so much. I bought uh, a book, a book of all the art. They've got like a big uh, sort of poster book thing. And I'm going to take some of those out and frame them, but it's got all loads of the art from the hotel. So that was amazing. And then Avengers Campus, which is the new marvel themed part of the park, which you don't get in Florida. I recently no, you found don't. out. You don't. They don't they don't have it in Florida. So so mm. I was quite excited that there's the big uh shooty shooty in the dark uh <laughs> that's its wow. official name. The shooty wow. shooty in the dark roller coaster, which is the the Avengers Assemble Flight Force thing, which where and this is genuinely true, you, you go over your briefing and it's Brie Larson and she's Captain Marvel and she's chatting away, chatting away. Well there um, every single day yeah, doing the same that's thing. It. She comes out every it's amazing her schedule allows it, but she mm, comes in, she personally introduces every single ride to every passenger. It's incredible. <laughs> but then uh Iron Man comes out and he and so she goes, Hey Tony, and he goes, Bonjour, je suis Tony Stark. And it's like He's in French and she's in English all the way through the thing, and it's quite discombobulating. When's this set? That is a very good question. It's all about Cree warheads. There are Cree warheads heading towards Earth, and Captain Marvel and Iron Man have to kind of stop the warheads. And you on the roller coaster are kind of there, <laughs> weaving in and out of them while this all this I goes have, on. I have questions about the chronology of yeah, this. I don't know where it fits and what phase of the MCU it fits into is unclear to me. Uh, but it is it is wildly French. Well, okay, okay. No, I've I've got many questions now. So the only possible time that this could have happened because yeah. Captain Marvel and and Tony Stark only meet in Avengers Endgame in the uh, in the prologue of Avengers Endgame when she saves him from certain death oh, in yes, space, then brings him back point. to Earth where he's emaciated. Then we have the five year time jump. So obviously we have a five year window there in which this adventure can happen yeah. and anything can happen. So are we saying that Tony didn't immediately retire as Iron Man, that he carried on for and a bit? At and some point the Kree attacked, presumably, in that window. Yeah. Do we know that they hadn't met before that? For sure? I mean, then you're getting into major retconning. Yeah. If, if, if not. Oh no, Marvel's uh, never retconned anything before. Yeah, and listen, if you're going to do it for, if you're going to retcon for anything, do it for a theme park ride. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent in French. In French, always in retcon French, in French. And yes. um, continuity, just for that. They also that sounds had, great. Tom Holland as well does the. There's a. There's another right there. There's a Spider-Man: The Web Adventure where it, it, Tom Holland's basically got all these little spider robots and they go berserk and you have to go and recapture them for him. And again, it's Tom Holland comes out and says, "Bonjour, je suis Spider-Man," uh, and he's dubbed into French for the whole thing. Uh, but Truly you know, Spider-Om. Like, it could be Spider-Om. I can't remember. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, and like you get the theme park, you get little shooty guns where you have to shoot at things. Like yes. you know, it's like that, but you don't get guns. You have to use your web spinner. So you have to do the little, the little weird. I don't know what you call it. The little hang loose sign with your hands, and you have to shoot your webs like that. And it actually, it's quite exhausting. It is yeah. yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I haven't I been very worried about the spider. No idea. Yeah. We should have all gone. See, I should have taken yeah, you with me. We should have. Yes, yes, we should have. As, 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 as I took you with oh, me to the yes. Galactic Star Here Cruiser. Here we go. Here we go. That's true. You, you took know? both of us to the Galactic Star Cruiser, I and did. then I buggered off to Disneyland on my own. Mm. Yes, you did. And I uh, am a terrible person. Yes. Your attitude is being noted, Mr. Rivers. Uh, anyway, listen. Uh, 
You can tell I'm back because we're 13 minutes into the podcast and we haven't got the listener question. As opposed to last week's podcast where the listener question was all wrapped up and done and done and dusted within eight minutes. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> including, but, you know. including a two minute preamble. And there were two questions as well. Two, two questions. You know. See, that's efficiency. Yeah, that is efficiency. Um, but anyway, listen, there's a, there's a nice middle ground to be found. One day I will find it. But right now, uh, we've been banging on far too long about uh, personal shit. Let's get on to our question, shall we, folks? All right. Let's do it. Uh, there's lots of questions. I asked for, uh, you know, I did a panicked shout out because I suddenly realized I hadn't actually asked for a question and didn't have any questions. And obviously some people are asking about, you know, kids stuff and kids TV and uh, Felicity Kate has asked from a favorite Bluey episode. Bluey, by the way, um, is I think tied with Columbo and Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul for the title of greatest TV show of all time. It is extraordinary. Uh, other kids shows that I've discovered and loved because there's a lot of shit out there, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll be, I'm sure a lot of parents listening to this will know this. Uh, there's a lot of shit out there, but there's some beautiful glowing jewels in that shit. Uh, Bluey, Hey Dougie, Number Blocks, Sarah and Duck. Thank you for whoever recommended Sarah and Duck to me. It is such a gentle, warm bath of a show. Uh, MC Grammar on Sky Kids huh. is fantastic. He teaches kids stuff. He's a teacher who is a rapper. And he's based in London and he teaches kids stuff through the medium of rap. And it's amazing. Uh, so I'd say those are the ones that have been really Stick it in my mind so much. Paw Patrol is a pile of fucking oh, shit, yeah, by the way. Oh, it's, it's uh, so, yeah. so, <laughs> I'm trying to steer our, our young daughter away it's, from that. It's, anyway. The thing that you want to avoid more than anything is in the night garden. I, I, that bit, was on once. Surely she's a bit old like, for that. No, no. Bit old, yeah. But it's deranged. Oh, yeah. Like, it's proper, like, crazy time at the zoo madness. I can't, I can't be dealing with that at all. Also, Twirly Woos yeah. is not my favourite. So, what I'm, the hell is a Twirly Woos? Twirly, twirly Woos, yeah, it's more for like really tiny toddlers. My sm- small niece likes it, so you know. I've not heard of anything. I've never even heard of Bluey. So, what do I know? Oh, Bluey is Bluey's fantastic. Amazing. Bluey, yeah. honestly, Bluey. So, Bluey is about a uh, two young. Uh, it's, it's an Australian show. Uh, uh, Daryl, Daryl from uh, Thor. Thor Love and Thunder Oh, uh, is, the ex- is the executive producer of it. He's not in it, but he's the executive producer of it. And he's or the executive producer of the company that runs the, that, that owns Ludo, that runs, that, that runs and owns Bluey. It's incredible. So it's about a family of Australian dogs. Uh, the dad, Bandit, who is the greatest dad in the history of, uh, well, entertainment, I'm guessing. And he sets uh, the bar impossibly high for that. There's the mum, Chili, and then there's the two daughters, Bluey, and bingo, and they get up to adventures, and it's all about imagination and playing. But it's one of those shows that is, is aimed as much as the adults as it is the kids, and it's really beautiful and funny and touching, and it's got a great theme tune. Anyway, enough about Bluey. I'm going to bang on about Bluey <laughs> another time, I'm sure. But the question I've alighted on, I've saved a lot of questions, hopefully for next week. Okay. But here's a question I'm going to throw to you guys. It does has got nothing to do with Chilton's TV. It comes from Jason underscore Blackshaw. Me and my friends have this debate all the time. If you had to get rid of all the films of either Adam Sandler, Seth Rogen, or Jim Carrey, who would it be? Only films acted in, not written or produced. Now oh, that, that removes a whole lot from Rogen, because Rogen's a very prolific and a very good producer and writer mm-hmm. of movies and TV. Not always that he's in. And Sandler, of course, Happy Madison, the greatest production company on earth. Uh, Adam Sandler. Seth Rogen, 
Jim Carrey. Remove the films of one of those. Who's As an be? actor, I'm uh, sorry to say, because I do quite like him on screen, but it would probably be Seth Rogen because Adam Sandler has Punch Drunk Love and Jim Carrey has The Truman Show. These are, these are fair points, but Seth Rogen appeared on an episode of The Boys and I can't not have The Boys. So surely we just didn't lose that episode. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming like, if, we're, if, we're, if we're retconning, if we're erasing from existence, presumably the whole series would have to go. I mean, well, I don't see that that's true. No, but also it's films. Films only. Yeah. That's the question. The question is, oh, this isn't, oh this isn't, I this see. Isn't, this kind this of elitist TV stuff, podcast. is it? Fine. Yeah, this is good Fine. stuff. Long, long good stuff. Well, in that case, it's Seth Rogen. Because the boys is the only thing that was keeping him around. Sorry, Seth. I thought this would be a longer debate. <laughs> that was relatively easy. I can yeah. live without Knocked Up and Super Bad. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, yeah, I, I like I like them. They're they're fun films, but like I don't need them in the way that I need the, the forty others. year old virgin, Steve Jobs. Or are, are these cute, gonna cute films. save yeah, him? Yeah, good films. Can Steve live without Jobs them. is a cute film. Well, cute is perhaps not the word no. there, but you know, likable, good films. But um, this not is quite the end. Can, can run into the sea anyway, so that's oh, fine. Oh, I quite like that. All right. Okay. So the, okay. Okay. Rogan's gone. He's out. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Seth. We love your laugh. We love your general vibe, but you're gone. That leaves Sandler or Carrie. Let's have a big knockdown showdown. Wow. Sandler, Sandler. or Carrie. And I know that you're immediately going Sandler. to say Sandler. It's it Sandler. is Sandler, though. It's 100% like, Sandler. I really it's not love even a conversation. I, lo- I really love Punch Drunk Love. Oh, but the, I, the, that's I love the only good film Truman that Adam Sandler has made. You love Truman Show more. Okay. I, I, no, I also love like Uncut Gems and stuff, but oh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I know it will oh, pain you to lose Hotel Transylvania 3 Summer Vacation, but look, I think <laughs> we're just going to have to push through. <laughs> good Google in there, by the way. <laughs> hey, I've seen it. I've literally seen it. <laughs> I've also seen it. Oh, God. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm. Ah, this is a tougher one for me, guys. It is this a, is a tougher but like one. Eternal Sunshine, yeah. Truman Show. For Eternal Sunshine alone, like Carrie is 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 indispensable. I mean, Carrie's 1994 is is up there with the great years of any movie star. Was that his remake of 1984? That was his remake of 1984. But he just went talked through his ass <laughs> <laughs> instead. Uh, yeah. So 1994 is Ace Ventura. The Mask and Dumb and Dumber. I think some of those got released in this country in 1995, technically speaking. But they are good. Like, don't worry, I like I like The Mask, but I like, I don't love The Mask. And Ace Ventura is good, but it's fucking stupid. Same with I Dumb and like Dumber. So I can live without all three of those. Sorry. All right. So this gets complicated then. So are you only? So these are three of the funniest people uh, on screen of the last 30 years, and the only reason we're saving the films of Jim Carrey <laughs> are the dramatic films. Yeah. Is that yeah. is that what it is? That is where well, we are. Not, yeah. I mean, None like, of his I comedies. Like, I like The Mask. Um, I actually really, really like him in a series of unfortunate events. I think he's fab in that. Yeah. Um, the way he, he um, says, I'm sorry, I don't speak monkey is fantastic. <laughs> Love it. But, you know, with, I mean, how else do you, how else do you p- compare them? I, I don't see a how fight. to do it. A fight in a Adam fight Sandler to the death. All right, if Jim they want Carrey. to fight to the death for me, I will totally watch that up to a point because I don't believe in cruelty. But mm-hmm. you know, I don't. Know. How, how how is this fight going to take place, Helen? Uh, is this is this in a car park? Is it in a ring? Is it Queensby rules? Are they naked from the waist up, or indeed the waist down? Wasn't Jim Carrey in Anchorman too? Like, don't you risk losing? Jim Carrey Anchorman was. Two, uh, y- yes, and it's Carrey, not Carrey. Uh, how dare you? Um, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I'm going to say yes. He was in Anchorman too. So, ooh, that's yeah. tricky. We don't need Anchorman 2, on account of it not being funny. But Chris does. 
I need Anchorman too. I need Anchorman too in my life. I was appealing to the crowd there. I know. But then again, you know you're going to appeal to the crowd just by mentioning the words murder mystery. And then I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I mean, Sandler, yeah, I I, I think Carrie's comedic highs are a little bit higher and his dramatic triumphs are maybe a little bit more triumphy. I, I think maybe. I love Uncut Gems. I love Hustle. Hustle was great this year yeah. on Netflix. Check out Hustle, by the way. I will never watch Uncut Gems again, even though I loved it, because it's the it, most I'm stressful sure film I've take it, yeah. ever seen. So I don't think I could sit through it again, but it is genius. I wonder, I, wonder if, I wonder if it would be easier to watch a second time knowing what happens, but I suspect no. not. I, 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 yeah, I, no. <laughs> Yes, I suspect yes, no. I suspect uh, yes, right. no. Okay, so Helen and James have gone very, very quickly and unequivocally for Jim Carrey. This is a tougher one for me, I'll be honest with you. It is a tougher one for me, but I'm I'm going to go with, yeah, I'm going to go with Jim Carrey. Because I think I revisit Jim Carrey films more than I revisit the Adam Sandler films that I love. So even if you take about it, you take the dramatic things aside, you take your, uh, you take your punch drunk loves and you take your uncut gems and you take your hustles and your rain over me's and things like that. And you put them to one side and the mayor, it's, uh, stories. He's great in mm-hmm. that also. Uh, yeah, you take those, you take them to one side. I think the, the, the better you're right. The better, the better carry dramas, the Truman show is yep. unimpeachable. Dumb and dumber is unimpeachable. So. It is with a heavy heart that we erase Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler wow. from existence. I'm sorry, guys. Wow, your hubby Halloween privileges have been revoked yeah. for this hubby year. Halloween. Hubby wow. Halloween. I don't know. <laughs> we have snapped them out of existence. I'm not going to spend. I'm not going to spend room in my brain on how to pronounce the name of that film. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Hubby Halloween. Yes, uh, actually, Happy Galmore. That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> Yeah, and then you're erasing the grown-up films as well, and and let's be honest, they both made some terrible films. Yes, some some yes. terrible, terrible films. Yep. I would say that that as much as I love the Sandman, he's probably made more terrible films than Jim Carrey. <laughs> oh, it's, it's tough. It's a close well, technically, one. Technically, the Sandman is responsible for all films because he's in charge of dreams. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. oh, very good. No, Akira Kurosawa was in charge of dreams, Helen. Um, <laughs> and we're not erasing his filmography. Definitely not. All right. Uh, on that note, I think that is uh, it for this week's listener question. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire podcast, I'm reading this off a page because I've forgotten how to do this, then you get in touch with us at uh, tweetdeck.twitter.com no I'm just reading off the page uh, from left to right damn it um, get in touch with us it's Twitter I'm, it's the only game in town right now go to at Chris Hewitt that's who I am I'm on Twitter and you can slide into my DMs you can reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing of course or you can wait for a panicked shout out every now and again there's one usually every Thursday morning <laughs> to be honest around about 10am uh, but there you go thanks indeed to Jason Blackshaw and everybody else who sent us some questions Right. Uh, should we plow straight into movie news and then save our guests for later on? Let's do Why it. Why not? Let's do it. Has there been any movie news? Oh, by oh, the way, yeah. can I can I pick you up on something from oh, last God. week's Here show? Here we go. First of all, how did you discuss the best fake ears in movies? Without, without Spock, mentioning I know. Spock. I know. I know. I, I know. wanted to call. I was editing a podcast. It was one in the morning. I nearly called you. I nearly uh, woke uh, you up. It would have been fair. I didn't deserve to sleep after after such an omission, quite frankly. Uh, especially having seen Wrath of Khan on the big screen last week. <laughs> no, what was it like? Oh, it was incredible. Oh, I just had I was basically in tears through half the film and just oh. whooping for the mm. other half. Oh, Did you feel like you were it. buried alive? 
you're the only one who's obsessed with that one line. You know that, right? Like, it's important to me that you know that. <laughs> this is Botany Bay. Botany Bay. I love, I love the paraphrasing of Moby. Round perdition's flame before I give him up. Oh, so good. So it's so good. It's so fucking good. And the oh. battle in the nebula. Oh God, love it. No, no nebula. The odds will be even. Oh yeah, it's a fucking great film. A genuinely so brilliant film. So good. Um, what were we talking about? Spock, Spock. Spock. So okay, you didn't mention yep, Spock. I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I and then when you got to the movie news section. You're talking about like all kinds of inconsequential nonsense, and I was thinking, wow. they're sitting there going, listening back to it, going, it must be. They must be saving the Matt Shackman is going to direct Fantastic Four news until the end. They must be saving it until the end because that's the, the, the biggest news of the week. And even though it's not 100% confirmed, it does seem like it's, it's likely. And then you got to the end and you just went on. And, and so, uh, I, Helen, I'm going, to, yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to hold your feet to the flame. What happened? Yeah. I don't remember even seeing that story, so that's what <laughs> happens. <laughs> all right, so uh, movie news from two weeks ago is that uh, Marvel are obviously looking for a director for their Fantastic Four movie in the wake of John Watts' departure from the project, citing with superhero movie fatigue. We said it's going to be, <laughs> we've been dismissing this as a concept for, for years now, but apparently it is real, and it is something that is experienced by directors of superhero movies, <laughs> principally. Uh, and... He's gone from the project. He exited the project a few months ago, and they've been looking for a director ever since. They have a release date, I believe. It was announced at Comic-Con, or it's going to come out in around 2024, 2025, something like that. Uh, there were rumors, there was, there was scuttlebutt, that they were aiming high, as high as you could possibly aim, in fact. Scorsese? They were, they were hoping to get Martin Scorsese to, uh, to come on board and, and do the Fantastic Four movie. That'd be amazing. De Niro is Reed Richards. <laughs> Pesci is Sue Storm. Uh, it would have been absolutely something else. I'd love to see Pacino as the thing, by the way. <laughs> oh, it's clobbering time, motherfuckers. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd have been absolutely amazing. But no, not Scorsese. They were going to, apparently they were looking at, um, they were hoping, this is, this is rumor. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Kevin, I know you're listening. So if this is not true, blink once. That they were looking for, they were trying to woo Spielberg. Whoa! Ooh. So then he clearly said no, and they went to Matt Chapman. <laughs> well, it's an obvious, it's an obvious step. But look, look I mean, Matt Chapman's been doing very good work, um, obviously with One Division, among other things. Uh, so you know, he has a bit of a understanding of the world, I suppose, yes. from that. One Division, the show in which every single week on the show, uh, our spoiler specials, we went. Reed Richards is going to be in this. Reed Richards <laughs> is going to be in this. And then and Reed we Richards were wasn't kind in it. of right, maybe if this news is true, maybe yes. Matt so, Shackman is playing the long game. He really <laughs> wants to direct Reed Richards. And apparently the Reed Richards is not going to be John Krasinski. So there's been yeah. lots of uh, rumour and, and discussion about this as well and speculation that apparently they are testing a whole bunch of people at the moment and it's not John Krasinski. Because wasn't there talk that there was an original end credit scene from Multiverse of Madness that had Reed Richards kind of seeing what going He was reviewing footage of the incident. So I always assume when I read that that was consider for a credit sequence, I assume well, that would then be prime timeline, which would make him canonically read Richards going forward. Yes. Um, but that didn't happen. But it didn't that happen. Didn't ha- so it, didn't it happen. doesn't matter. But First I've heard of it, actually. That's, yeah. that's, that's good. That's good. We're all learning something new from this segment. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is not confirmed yet, but uh, if the trades are confident enough to say something like this, then 
chances are that the deal is either closed or close to being closed. Close to so it, Matt yeah. Shackman to yeah. direct Fantastic Four. Good All right. Yeah, cool. Fine. Yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah, are you really, James? Because you you pour scorn, you heap scorn upon the Fantastic Four every time they're mentioned. I'm indifferent to the Fantastic Four. I've never really enjoyed the Fantastic Four because they fall into the particular bucket of Marvel characters, which I find just a bit silly. Because fucking Bendy Stretcheroonie, Mister Fantastic, is just shit, and it just and he annoys me, and therefore I can't take him seriously. This is this is this is where me and Amon get into this the whole way. That the reason why classic DC, not so much the sort of edgier Batman stuff of more recent years but like classic dc kind of skews a bit young so their villains are a little bit quote-unquote silly and i struggle with them a little bit and dc generally because it was aimed slightly younger than marvel when it originally started uh whereas i as you know have no humor whatsoever about the things i like which is why i don't deal with the orville or star trek parody or any of that shit there's not fucking laughing matter Lorax is great no and uh apparently the orville isn't so much a parody anymore yes it's it's, it's quite good now yeah Yeah, apparently it's evolved but i that seth MacFarlane is my kryptonite so i i will never find out unfortunately but uh but yes and i just find i find mr fantastic a little bit silly and I don't like Franklin because he's a twat. Although, although, Amon pointed me to a comic where Doom, like, rips Thanos' spine out of his body instantly, having been granted godlike powers by some stupid plot device. And I was like, hard pass! <laughs> no! I'm out! Doom can yes. fuck off! No, Doom, Doom, is, uh, Doom is great. Doom, if they, if they do Doom right, and Doom is incredibly hard to do right, by the way, uh, as evidenced by the fact that the, you know, no he's has. been terrible in yeah. the previous uh, Fantastic Four movies. Um, as fun as the first two movies are in a kind of fun, cheesy, bad CG kind of way. Oh, hey, look, it's young Chris Evans. Isn't, you know, I bet that kid's going to go places. You know, the the rest of it's not brilliant, let's be honest with you. And the less said about the Josh Trank version, <laughs> the better. <laughs> but yeah, uh, if they get Doom right, he is going to be a major, major, major villain going forward in the MCU. And I think it's the reason why Kang's name is not in... Avengers Secret Wars title because I think by that point Doom might be the big bad guy of the mm-hmm. MCU and not Kang but we shall see hey listen anyway that's not an Amon guarantee or a Hugh better believe it buddy uh, it is just a hunch anyway what else has been happening in the world of movie news this week and I cannot emphasize <laughs> that bit enough uh, Helen you must be very excited that there have been two pieces of folie à deux casting <sighs> yeah <laughs> Catherine Keener and yeah. the man with the best beard in all of Christendom, Brendan Gleeson. What? How dare they? How <laughs> dare they take him away from doing literally anything else? Is I am outraged. Knuckles McGinty. It, it's possible. Let me have a look. Do we know who's playing? Let me have a look. I, I, I have not I fully explored this. I don't think we know who anybody is playing, basically. Uh, they haven't even technically confirmed that Lady Gaga is Harley Quinn. Lady Gaga. 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 Yeah, yeah. So Catherine Keener, who was the other one? Brendan Gleeson. Gleeson. I didn't Brendan know Gleeson. that. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, Zazie Beats is back along with Joaquin Phoenix and of course Lady Gaga. Gaga! <laughs> uh, which, I, is, I just... which is exciting. It's very exciting. Brendan Gleeson, what an actor. But can I, can I just drill down into James's declaration that he has the best beard in the business? Have you seen Calvary? Have you seen Calvary? It's like, it's, like, it's like a fox-coloured badger stripe and it is fucking magnificent. It is, it is magnificent. I would like kill that. people for that beard. beard. It's a great beard. It's the best beard. I don't know if it's the best beard. I have beard. never seen a beard as lustrous or luscious or beautifully coloured as his. Well, who else would you, who else would you yeah. suggest, Yeah, who has the Chris? best beard then, Chris? Don't say Tony Stark. Don't be ridiculous. Captain America? <laughs> Captain oh, America's no. beard is fine. That's a pretty great beard. It's a pretty great beard, but it's not as lustrous 
It's listens. not a beard you could it live in. Is as, it is as lustrous. Let's be okay, exact. Okay. It's it not, you isn't stripy. You couldn't live in it, it Helen, is, is what I'm saying. You couldn't live in it. And I think you could probably live in Brendan Gleeson's beard. I mean... Yeah, I think you could. Nick Offerman, when he can... when He, he does when give he, good beard. When he, he doesn't shave for a morning, has a beard. Hmm. He does. He has a Brian very Blessed good beard. Brian Blessed gives good beard, but it's not on the same level. It is on the same. Come mm, on, now you're is. just being ridiculous. No, no, no. It's it's fulsome. It's got bounce to it, but I'm just saying it doesn't have that sheen. Kiadi Mundi. Kiadi Mundi has a shit beard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no one, no one should braid their beard. Just no, just absolutely not. I've got a question for you, Christopher. Uh, what did you think of Jamie Clayton's pinhead? Haven't seen it. Haven't you seen it? Don't okay. forget, I've, I haven't. Oh, you've been, been away. You've, oh, that's right. You've I've been, been on away. heavy air quotes. Holiday. Uh, holiday. Yes. yes. Well, we did get the first shot of Jamie Clayton as Pinhead. Jamie Clayton, of course, from Sensate, among other things. Uh, but she's playing Pinhead, and she looks terrifying. I mean, it, it, she has pins in her head, so yeah. she looks like Pinhead. I, I, and I the feel flayed like vocal not... cords, which is always upsetting. Yeah, I feel like yes. it's not terribly, you know. Uh, yeah, Different. I mean, yeah, I don't think we're we're not exactly reinventing the pin here. Uh, this looks, it, yeah, she looks fine. She, she, she looks, looks fine, says Chris. She's fine. She's fine. It, yeah, solid, solid. Uh, you know, I'm glad they haven't changed the look that much for this for this. Are you movie. a Doug Bradley purist? I'm not a Doug Bradley purist because the Hellraiser movies fall off a cliff massively after <laughs> Hellraiser three. No shit. Um, I mean, <laughs> after Hellraiser three, uh, uh, Hellraiser three, Hell on Earth is is a decent fun movie. It has Terry Farrell from Deep Space Nine in it, and that is its it most does. redeeming feature. And it also has, I believe, a DJ who spits CDs, or is it vinyl? I can't remember. People and, CDs. Yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. Like, like the, the alien from Dark Angel, weaponizing music. Indeed, indeed. Which uh, also, of course, stars Brian Benben. Anyway, um, going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but yes, <laughs> I, I, I like the first, I think Hellraiser, the first Hellraiser is incredible. Um, I uh, have a soft spot for Hellraiser 3. I, I don't mind Hellraiser 2, uh, but anything after that, including the one Scott Derrickson made, by the way, mm. uh, is pretty terrible. I don't like the Hellraiser film. I don't like body horror generally, to be honest, and I find that there's a, there's a very, very <laughs> severe ick factor with the Cenobites. So we got you to review the David Cronenberg film right? this week. <laughs> We're going to talk about that a little bit later. I'm not happy with you, but We'll get on to it. Um, yeah, so so <laughs> he's not happy with me because I made him watch a film. <laughs> I, genuinely, I was not happy at all. I, mean, I texted I've seen you to five that effect. This week. I've seen five, James. Just wow. FYI. Well, you have wow. to, Helen, because you're doing the live show, but I'm not doing the live show, so I'm excused. I mean, I don't, yes. but I'm just, you know, I just am professional. That's all, you know. I don't understand just, what like, that means. Do stuff. That's what it is. But hey, listen, um, yeah, Hellraiser, when's it coming out? It's coming out October 7th on Hulu. I don't Hulu. know. I, I don't know if that means It'll it's going to Disney hit Plus. Disney Plus yeah. star. Uh, that could be interesting, whether it's going to be out the same week. It's directed by David Bruckner, who, of course, directed The Ritual in the Nighthouse and knows his way around horror. So I'm a little bit more confident about this one than I am about the other ones. Doug Bradley didn't play Pinhead, by the way, in every Hellraiser movie, even he got tired of it at a certain, <laughs> a certain point. Uh, so I'm not a Bradley purist at all. All I hope for is a weird, bloody, fucked up little movie uh, that tears your soul apart. Is it too much to ask? <laughs> I don't think so. I've always wanted to say that to someone in an argument. I will tear your soul apart. You are such a weirdo. Why do you... Lo- oh, I feel it would no. be quite a nice cap on a discussion. I don't know. I'll yeah. save it for an issue meeting. 
it would be psychopathic seeming <laughs> and indeed psychopathic you psychopath don't do that that's another pinhead quote i i say all the time uh, anyway uh talk about live shows jimbo yes uh, you're uh, so and uh, shock revelation, shock bombshell there. Jimbo will not be at the live show this week. No, I've got PTSD from Pilot 200. I can't face it. <laughs> not for reasons unknown. Uh, he is, he's not going to be able to make it to the live show this, no. this Saturday at the, uh, at the King's Place in London. We're doing another live show, our first one since the award-winning episode of 500. Mm. And it's going to be back at King's Place on this Saturday, Saturday, September 10th. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be me. It's going to be Helen. It's going to be Ben. And we have a... A uh, great special guest whose name I am not going to reveal. Uh, and it's going to be tons of fun. So it starts at 7 p.m. I think there are still some tickets available. Uh, I haven't checked this morning, but I'm, I think there are some tickets still available at King's Place on the website. So you can go along if you want to come along and see us in the flesh. Don't worry, there will be no Cenobites and no puzzle boxes unlocking uh, hellish dimensions of carnal pleasure. <laughs> More's the pity. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, That's only because I'm not there. Um, yeah, precisely. Yeah, James is off trying to unlock a big old fuck box. That's what he's trying to do. <laughs> so, um, so, um, so do come along to lad kingspace.co.uk. And if you can't make it along, uh, you can stream it. You can buy a streaming pass via the Kingspace website as well. And that is the only way you're going to be able to see or hear this show. Because as with the previous a couple of London Podcast Festival shows that we've done. This is going to be just a live show. It's not going to be a podcast. It's not going to be available on the podcast feed uh, after we do it on Saturday night. The only place you'll be able to see or hear it is actually in the flesh or find the stream pass, which lasts for a couple of days beyond the live show as well. Uh, our guest from that show will be on next week's show, but that's the only thing you're going to hear otherwise from Saturday night. So come along or watch it. It's going to be an absolute blast. Kingsplace.co.uk. Right, I feel dirty after all that shameless plugging. Anything else? There's a few things. Um, Anna Kendrick is dating quite a, uh, dating is <laughs> directing. <laughs> wow. She's going to direct a cool film called The Dating Game. See where ah, I got confused. I can see the confusion. Yeah, but it, you might think it's a cute rom-com. What a cute idea for Anna Kendrick. But this is actually a true crime thriller. Uh, she's starring and producing as well as directing. It's based on a script by Ian McAllister and MacDonald. It is based on this true story about a woman who went on The Dating Game, a 70s matchmaking show, you know, think Scylla Black, and, um, and chose a very handsome, very funny, very charming man who was called Rodney Alcala. Surprise! He was a psychopathic serial killer. Wow. So this sounds like it maybe has some, you know, twists what? and turns to it. And I'm excited to see what the hell that happens out of that. But it sounds like a really good fit for Anna Kendrick's kind of sensibility. So, um, yeah. What? The dating really? game. Yeah. Apparently wow. so. There were also a bunch of trailers this week. I'm not going to go into all of them. Um, all Quiet in the Western Front is out uh, tra in trailer form, obviously. Uh, there's a trailer, I believe, coming up for The Good Nurse. That's the Jessica Chastain catching a serial killer. A lot mm -hmm. of serial killers. And of course, if you're a styler, you'll want to check out Harry Styles in My Policeman, which we will talk more about in a moment. But there was a trailer as well for What's Love Got to Do With It, which is not related to Tina Turner. This is the British rom-com um, where Lily James is once again, for some reason, cast as a, a woman who can't find a boyfriend. Uh, Shazad Latif uh, from <laughs> Star Trek Discovery uh, is a guy who's uh, looking at an arranged marriage and she's his best friend who's trying to document the whole thing. No prizes for guessing what's going to happen. Yes. 
That sounds, uh, yeah. How how does it happen? I mean, I, I see Lily James and I just think, yep, there's someone who's never going to find a partner. Never going to find a partner. No. It, well, she does wear jumpers and doesn't always brush her hair in this film. So I guess that's why it is. Anywho. That's it. Uh, that must be it. And also there's a trailer for the, uh, Armageddon Time. Now, this is pretty exciting because this is the new film from James Gray and it has Anne Hathaway, Anthony Hopkins and Jeremy Strong uh, in a sort of coming of age tale in 80s uh, New York, uh, which looks rather awardsy, frankly. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. The most exciting one was actually Wendell and Wild, which is the new stop motion mm. Henry Selleck film from uh, Jordan Peele and reuniting him, at least voice wise, with Keegan Michael Key. Yes. Exciting. Very exciting. I am here for anything Henry Selleck does. I'm a massive fan of Henry Selleck. I love the way he bounced back from not getting the role as Indiana Jones to, you know, former career for himself as Magnum. Then he did obviously yeah. a couple of yeah. great movies, Three yeah. Men and the Baby. Uh, got a guest starring role on Friends, which everyone loves as Richard, I mean, the, the, the mm. dentist who dates Monica. And of course, who can I forget do. his role as, um, insert Officer Reagan's name here, uh, on Blue Bloods. So very, very excited about it. And great moustache sure. as well. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm just going to let that one go. Let's just let that one go, Let's shall we? Let's just let and, that one go. Slide. Uh, so Benedict Cumberbatch, old Benelin Cumberbund himself, has uh, signed on to star opposite Jodie Comer in a, an apocalyptic thriller drama. <laughs> That's what it says here. The End We Start From. Hmm. Which is about London being underwater, under flood water, which obviously given everything that's going on right now across the world and specifically in Pakistan right now, uh, is feels very, very tragically topical. And it's about a, a young woman who has just had a newborn child and she is trying to find her way home amidst the 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 chaos. watery chaos. Yeah. 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 yeah, that should that should be uh, pretty good. Can we talk now about all the nonsense in Venice? This oh, week. God. Can we just just Spit quickly gate. before we get on? Yeah, I, I feel like we have to talk about uh, "Don't Worry, Darling" a little bit. So there has been some drama Don't behind worry, the darling. scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be revolting, darling. <laughs> Don't be revolting, darling. I wouldn't spit on a crisp pine if you were glazed in honey. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to hear the title of that film now without hearing it as Lord Melcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he'd he'd quite enjoy the whole thing. Frankly. Don't worry, darling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so t- take us through this in a, in a in a way that's not tawdry, uh, because it is pretty tawdry. Everything that's happening ar- around this movie and the and and just the the the, the gossip hounds circling this mm. film just makes me feel a little bit icky. Uh, Terry did a wonderful piece on her. Uh, Terry White did a wonderful piece on her Substack about how she feels this whole thing is really icky. This 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 desire, this you know, this this sort of avalanche of Schadenfreude about yeah. this movie. And uh, did you know the, the desire for Olivia Wilde to fall flat in her face just feels wrong? Yeah, I had I did a similar piece last week for Grazzi oh, before you? all of this happened, uh, and it ah. is uh, it is a mess. Um, so she does seem to have made some less than great choices. Let's be honest, but also the the ni- the extent to which the knives are out. Not talking about glass onion um, is is astonishing. So uh, Olivia Wilde was. In a relationship with Jason Stakers for a very long time, they broke up at some point. It's not entirely clear when. Um, and Olivia Wilde got together with Harry Styles, who co-stars in this movie, replacing Shia LaBeouf, who had originally been cast in the role when Styles wasn't available. And there's some question over whether LaBeouf left or was fired. And uh, it seems from the receipts he provided that he left the project rather than being fired. Then Styles and Wilde got together on set. This seems to have discomforted uh, Florence Pugh, 
She may have other issues with uh, Olivia Wilde. Uh, she has been maintaining a very determined silence on the whole affair, probably wisely, um, and turned up to the Venice premiere, but skipped the press conference and is skipping all other publicity from the film, in which, by the way, she is phenomenally good, as she is in pretty much everything. Uh, so it's all getting a bit mad. And then... Uh, you had the uh, Chris Pine basically becoming a meme uh, at Venice just by you know maintaining a, a composed face and looking off into the distance, huh. and then there was Spitgate, which is the ludicrous, ludicrous idea that Harry Styles spat on Chris Pine as he was sitting down next to him in the cinema. You know there is no known beef that would lead to this, <laughs> but. People are just loving the drama, and so they just glommed onto uh, a freeze frame that appeared to show something falling from Harry Styles in the direction of Chris Pine, and ran with it. It was literally a case of you know adding two and two and making fifty six million. Um, but it's been it's been crazy how much this film has dominated the headlines this week. I don't know if it will help or hurt the film, but it certainly isn't helping Olivia Wilde's career. And you know, she did make Book Smart and should have a pass for life if there were any justice in the world. So it does worry me slightly the extent to which this is all going, you know, crazy. But yeah, hey, Harry Styles, by the way, is laughing about it. He um he was at a concert last night and sort of introduced one of his songs going, hey, you know, yes, I'm. this is day 10 of the tour. I had to take a quick break and go to Venice and spit on Chris Pine. Uh, Chris Pine, oh, for the record, has he's definitively- admitted He's admitted it right there, smoking gun. <laughs> Chris Pine has, you're jumping to conclusions is what you're doing there, Chris. Oh my just, God. Just for the record, when we talk about it, see how they run. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Chris Pine has denied that it happened just for anybody who was confused. Mm, but dear suspicious. God- Dear God, mm, what okay. Well, it's 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 a whole thing. It is a whole thing. It is a whole uh, thing. There is a movie uh, as well. I believe they've actually made a movie, which will be yeah, out soon. Yeah. It will be uh, so, yeah. later yeah. this month. We'll talk about later it later this month. In fact, so we will be chatting about. Don't worry, darling. Uh, later on, <laughs> when it comes out this month. Uh, hey, listen. Uh, just real quick, I want to mention a couple of things. Jodie Turner Smith is in talks to join the cast of the new Star Wars show, The Acolyte. The Acolyte, yes, that's right. So she is going to be joining Amanda Stenberg. Production is going to start this uh, year in London. And it's going to be a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers set within the final days of the High Republic mm. era, which is a long, long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And now, even longer time ago. Mm, yeah. A long time ago. Yeah, this is the High Republic, so that's an exciting setting. Obviously, there have been lots of fiction, there have been comics and books set in that particular era. But uh, yeah. I, I'm, mm. I'm excited to see. I don't know quite what to expect. This is 200 years before Skywalker's time. So mm. this is the one from the uh, Russian Doll showrunner. So mm. we can expect Leslie something Headland. twisty and turny. Yeah, we can indeed. And uh, Jodie Turner Smith is fantastic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm all on board with that one. All aboard. Uh, also boarding a big old film is Kiernan Shipka, who is joining the cast of Dwayne Johnson and Jake Kasdan's Red One, which they are choosing to make instead of a third Jumanji movie. And Ooh. it's frankly, a Christmas movie. Christmas. I know. I know. But yeah, they're they're propping up. Yeah, they're propping up failing bah humbug podcast. But uh, I don't know wow. whether they're whether unnecessary. That, dude. Whether that listen, Jumanji one and two are both well, they're technically great. Jumanji two and three are also Christmas movies. Have you yeah. done those on your bah humbug podcast? Not yet, because it's you know only twelve episodes a year. 
All right. Okay. Uh, so I will forgive them for not making Jumanji 3 slash 4 if this movie is really, really good. And it's going to be about Dwayne Johnson playing Santa Claus, I think. is basically, they're keeping the, the, the plotline under wraps, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's going to be. Look, Chris Evans is in it also, and it's a Christmas movie. Come on. What more do you need? Oh, my God. Imagine Chris Evans under your tree of a Christmas morning. Awful. Awful. Bring it back to the store. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, this is very, very big news for me. I don't know if it's big news for you guys. I suspect it will be. I'm not sure, sure, but uh, uh, spotted this week on the set of Beverly Hills Cop, colon, oh, yes. Axel Foley, uh, some uh, some paparazzi, damn Louis paparazzi. Uh, but this week they did some good because they captured on set John Ashton and Judge Reinhold. <laughs> On set of Beverly Hills Cop, Axel Foley, which seems to indicate, unless they were just visiting as pals, but it seems to indicate that Rosewood and Taggart are back, back, back. And I am so glad because for me, frankly, if they hadn't been in it, it wouldn't have been a Beverly Hills Cop movie. Yeah, that's super good news. If they're in it for like three minutes. Yeah, they have to be there though. And I think think that's really good news. Cannot wait. Judge not. Lest you be judged by Judge <laughs> Reinhold. That's what I have to say to you. <laughs> One of the greatest things we've ever done in this magazine. <laughs> it was pretty damn good. Uh, in case people don't know what this is, uh, Judge Judge Not Lest You Be Judged by Judge Reinhold uh, was a one-off feature in Empire Magazine in which Judge Reinhold um, looked back on past negative reviews of his work and then judged the people who had judged the judge. I think that's that's what it was, wasn't it? I don't know. I remember the pun and nothing else. Yeah, it was it was it, it was a, one of those features that began as a pun and then somehow became uh, a living thing. Yeah, we still haven't done Mr. Bean's holiday, in which I take Sean Bean on holiday to Blackpool for a day. But uh, one day, yeah. one day, we did it do will happen. Count Dooku Sudoku. Uh, yes, we did. Why we didn't call it Count Sudoku? Spell Duke, I don't know. I think um, I was probably overruled in that one. Yes. J- uh, jar ruled. We did the jar rules of attraction, didn't we? The, the Jude did laws we of that? attraction. I'm Jude sure laws of attraction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. puns. Love them. Anyway, that is quite enough movie news for one episode. Should we have a guest or guests? Less. In fact. Yeah. All right. So one of the big movies out this week is See How They Run, which is a fun, funny, twisty comedy thriller slash murder mystery slash whodunit in which Sam Rockwell plays Inspector Stoppard, who is somewhat of a shambling, slightly drunken police inspector who, along with his enthusiastic young sidekick played by Saoirse Ronan, has to investigate the murder of a film director which takes place behind the scenes of The Mousetrap. Yes, The Mousetrap, the real Mousetrap, the longest-running play in the world, which is still on right now in the West End in London, and you can go and see it if you so desire. I have there seen are, it. Yeah, well, and Me too. Good. Yes, I know That's the right. secret of the mousetrap. Do not reveal the secret of the mousetrap, <laughs> Helen. The I secret of the mousetrap yeah. is that it's somehow the longest running play in the in the world, despite being a bit bobbins. Isn't it's that all the, right. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah? It's, it doesn't it's fine. live up to the hype, but it was quite fun. Is there hype? Well, it's been going for like 150 years, so... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this is a film set in and around the mousetrap. So Dickie Attenborough, Richard Attenborough and his his real life wife are characters in this movie. And it's got a great cast as well. It's got the likes of Harris Dickinson and Ruth Wilson and uh, Reese Shearsmith and David Oyelowo and Adrian Brody. And it's just a ton of fun. And uh, so I was delighted to talk uh, recently 
on Zoom to Sam Rockwell, actual Oscar-winning Sam Rockwell. He wasn't dancing in this one. He was sitting down in the junket room, a separate junket room from his director, Tom George, who worked on This Country, the great BBC comedy, and is making his feature film debut with this movie. So here they are, director and actor, having a good old natter about See How They Run. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star and director, two different people, of See How They Run, Sam Rockwell and Tom George. How are you both? Good, good. Good. Thanks for having us. Excellent, excellent. Thing. I'm glad to have you both because it's it's unusual. It's rare that we actually have a director and an actor in tandem on the podcast like this. And director-actor relationships are, are fascinating to me. So... You're in different rooms at the moment. Does does this indicate that you didn't get on or was it a nice (laughs) working relationship? No, we're good. We we had fun. We had a two-week rehearsal period, uh, which was sort of unheard of for film, you know. What was the name of that space, Tom, that we were in? Where was that? Where was it? Just off kind of... uh... Mayfair way, wasn't it? What was that place? I can't remember the name of it. It was great. It was really a big, big space. And we, yeah, we had this huge multi-room space and our costume was sort of in there as well. So we were able to do some of that pre-production stuff without it. So often you're getting dragged away to go and do a day of fittings and all that. It was kind of all in one place and it, and then we could kind of have time together, which was, Mm. which was cool. And Sam, obviously you're you're a very experienced theater actor. So the rehearsal must be something that is quite important for you, I'm guessing. Absolutely. No, it's a luxury for film to do that. Um, so I was really quite pleased about that. I, I, I think we all had a great time doing that, you know, and, and, and Tom was great in the room with us being, we were really experimental and, uh, you know, like sometimes I'd say to Tom, like, can I, you know, is it okay if I do it without the accent just for, and you don't really, you know, you don't really have time to indulge in that kind of stuff. Usually, you have to kind of show up and do it. So it was nice. That's to do interesting. That. What, what? Why was that? Because I guess for an actor, can an accent become a bit of a, a a crutch in a way? I think it's I think it's a trap. Sometimes you don't want to just play the accent. I think you want to you want to play the the character, and and I think then eventually marry the two. So I think mm. yeah, I think you want to alternate. Mm. For me, the brilliant thing was having that that time. For a lot of it, it was Sam Sersher and myself, just the three of us. And I think that that time to like connect as a three, and particularly for Sam and Sersher to like, you know, I'm a big believer in if you if you connect, if the two actors can connect off the screen, you, an audience can pick up on some of that um, on camera. And I certainly think in in this film that that was that was part of the success of seeing these two on camera together was that time preparing beforehand and that that and also sam says to find little additional stuff you know there was stuff we that got rewritten in the rehearsal room additional stuff that got added um and and you know a fair amount of that made it into the final film which is always really fun as well can you remember your first the first time the first conversation you guys had which i presume was before the rehearsal process you didn't meet for the first time during that that two-week period we met on a Zoom, I think, and then uh, that was that was it until the rehearsal, I think, right? We yeah. talked a little, we zoomed a little bit with dialect coaches and stuff like that. Yeah, we did a little tiny bit of like reading the script on Zoom with Sersha until we all decided that that was right. like, uh, you know, 
had its limitations, let's say. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then it was together in the room um, for a couple of weeks before the shoot, yeah. So how do you work when you're approaching a character like this? So Sam, you know, I've I've talked to directors over the years. Some directors they like they like to talk to an actor as little as possible before day one. So when an actor turns up, they don't know what is going to come out of that actor's mouth or what that actor is going to do. And there are other directors who I'm sure are going to be in touch with with you constantly throughout the 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 process as you shape this character. What what was it like on this one for you? Well, I think that Tom and I briefly talked about the 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 character and then the dialect itself, the accent itself. And I think initially, I think Tom said Tom Hardy. And then, and then eventually we got down to Martin uh, Friedman. Mm. And I think Martin Friedman and I had actually worked together in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And so I actually had Martin tape some vowel sounds for me. And then Eddie Marsden was kind enough to tape my lines and then I had this other guy. So we kind of, but we noticed, we, we kind of went back and forth. And Tom and I both, we didn't want any extreme. We didn't want super East End and we didn't want super posh. So I think we kind of met in the middle. In the dialect coaches, we had, two, I had two dialect coaches. And we kind of finally settled on this kind of thing, which I don't even know what the hell it is really. <laughs> but it's something. And it's hard to like those strong flavors are easier to tune into, I think, aren't they? That's the challenge. Like if it's a strong East London accent or a very like heightened RP accent, that's yeah. one thing. That's a challenge in and of itself. But to hit those slightly subtler tones, you know, uh, of a London accent that is neither we knew this character, you know, he'd been in the army, but he was a sort of uh, low-ranking officer or a sergeant, maybe. So he wasn't down with the sort of Tommies, but he wasn't, you know, at headquarters with the um, with the upper class, uh, you know, Eton types. So just finding exactly where he sat was the was the challenge. But you know, from the first time we talked about it, you know, I felt really confident because what people might not know about Sam is like he's an incredibly hard worker, and like I just knew from that first chat we had that he was going to, however he did it. And at the time, I did not know that he would be asking Martin Freeman and Eddie Marson to record the script for him as part of that process. But uh, I knew that he would put out all the stops. And uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> Sam, do you have those guys on the payroll, uh, Martin and Eddie, or is it just... <laughs> Absolutely. You know it. No, they were... No, I owe them both a favour, actually. I'm going to have to take their lines if they ever do whatever accent they need to do. <laughs> but... Presumably a British accent isn't too difficult for you because you have done an awful lot of stuff over here in the past. I have. I, 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 I dated someone there and I also, I've been there a lot. You're right. And I did two plays where I had to do British accents in the States, a Mike Lee play and, and then the Dumbwaiter. Mm. Um, but it had been quite a while since I'd done that. So I was, a, I was pretty nervous. Um, Tom was very patient, you know, in the first day I was, I was pretty nervous first few days in front of the British crew and British actors doing this, doing this accent. I was, I was pretty, uh, pretty nervous. And then it, you know, I kind of used it as, as part of, you know, part of his hangover. Maybe that was, I justified it that he was anxious because of his hangover, I think was the thing in my mind. Because <laughs> he's such an, an inscrutable character, Inspector Stoppart. There's, there's something about him. There's something unknowable about this guy. There, ha there has to be for the movie to work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Tom and I both, 
I think Tom had said, you know, this guy has to be the center. He's the he's kind of the audience in a sense, you know. He has to be kind of a blank slate to some degree. He can't be too not a blank slate, but you know mm. what I mean. He has to be mm. a bit of an everyman, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, when you certainly when you first meet him, you want to feel yeah. like you you get him and it's like he's a straight ahead guy and then that becomes more complex as the story unfolds, I think. Yeah. yeah. Which I think it goes to the heart of of the movie itself and and its appeal to both of you, uh, because it is it obviously has many many things. It's a whodunit. It's a love letter to theatre, while at the same time a slight piss take of the mousetrap. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it's it's also a very meta movie about being a whodunit. So was that all part of that great big melange that that made you both go, yes, okay, this I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. And then the cast that that Tom pulled together was, I mean, nothing short of extraordinary. I mean, we really had, you know, Ruth Wilson, Tim, uh, David, uh, you know, Saoirse, Harrison, Pearl. You know, I mean, the first time I saw Harris and Pearl come on and Harris did that, that sort of very soft... Uh, impression of uh, Attenborough. I was, I was sort of, I was really kind of mesmerized by Harris <laughs> in the in the rehearsals, you know. And uh, and Tom, what about yourself? Yeah, I mean, that was all that stuff was was what got me excited about it. You know, as you say, the chance to make a murder mystery that needed to function as a murder mystery in its own right, but the also as a film about murder murder mysteries, and more than that, really beneath it. At its core, it's a character comedy, right? It's really a story of a partnership and whether these two unlikely partners can come together to crack the case, you know? Um, that's what what spoke to me about it and felt, and I had a quite a clear sense from really reading the script for the first time, how performance could be such a key element of that, essentially, that this, um, a kind of understated contemporary comic performance style would would offset in a really interesting way with people's expectations of the genre. You know, you, you, you're setting up, you're delivering on some of those expectations, the period setting, the incredible costumes, um, the tropes of the, the whodunit genre. Yeah. And then performance was a lovely way to honor the fact that this is a film that can only be made today. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a modern film that looks backwards, um, you know, as well as as well as being a a, a historical piece itself. Yeah, those those kind of flashier directorial elements. The 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 lean into split screen, the lean into flashbacks. I don't want to give too much away, but there's some lovely jokes about that sort of stuff. That must have been really fun for you to tackle. Yeah, I mean, all, all that stuff was really fun. But the great thing about Mark and his script was that from the get go, we agreed that that stuff can be the icing on the cake. You know, that sort of um, extra layer of goodness whether it be jokes about you know the way films are made or the way the uh, murder mysteries function but first you've got to have a great story with some great characters at the heart of it right and and it needs to function just on those merits you know and and that's what mark had created and and to like fuse those elements of a thriller with a comedy not drift into a spoof it was yeah. like he'd like sort of treaded this really delicate line that that was really exciting to read it 
And, and Sam, from, if I didn't have this terrible background on, you would see a my beloved Columbo box set behind me. And there is a, <laughs> I cherish, I think, if my house burned down tomorrow, I would grab that ahead of any of my loved ones. But there's, yes, there's, yes. <laughs> there's a long line of great detectives, obviously. Uh, did sure. you look? Columbo's at, a good one. Columbo's, a, Columbo's the, the greatest, my friend. But, you know, but did you look at any yeah. others? Did you look at any detectives that you took inspiration from? I did look at Columbo, actually. I did look at that. Um, you could argue that he's a bit of a British uh, Columbo in a sense, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I mostly watched like misanthropes, um, like Michael Caine educating Rita and Walter Matthau, Bad News Bears. I watched Flight with Denzel Washington. I watched a lot of, obviously, a lot of British movies, No By Mouth, and you name it. I watched every British movie you could think of. But... Um, uh, every kind of accent all, you know, all over the map. But, um, you know, I would, we would practice, Jane and I would practice uh, doing, we would do an absurdly posh version. I think Tom was, was privy to some of these rehearsals and then we would go really cockney just as a goof, you know? And then we somehow, I, I thought that was a, a fun exercise. I think it started with David Aiello and I's, just running lines via Zoom because we knew Liz Himmelstein was a dialect coach. Anyway, we we kind of like, and it, it was a good exercise and uh, and a lot of fun. But yeah, again, just like misanthrope characters, I think was the key to it. See, that's fascinating that you because all those films you mentioned there, with the possible exception of Educating Rita, are not what I would say are laugh yeah. riots. They're not. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not the sort of film that no. I would think would be a good double bill. We'll see how they run. Nil by yes, mouth yes. has its moments. Nil, <laughs> nil by mouth is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, I always say, you know, bring drama to your comedy, bring comedy to your drama. You know, I think that's really the best way to, you really have to take it very seriously and then the, let the comedy come out of that. And uh, and just as as a theater head for yourself, I mean, I'm sure you you've seen you must have seen the Mousetrap. You know, I never did actually, and I've seen a lot of plays, man, but I never saw that. Is that because you're afraid it might be too good? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no judgments, no judgments here. But there, yeah, there is there's a lure to the Mousetrap. Tom, did you avoid the Mousetrap then? Never seen the Mousetrap. You've never seen the Mousetrap. I'm glad we're not alone. I was due to go and see it, but um, you know, then matters got out of hand uh, in a global nature that uh, meant that I couldn't. Um, in the end, it came to be a good thing, I think, because again, going back to what we were talking about, the sort of um, that extra layer of awareness of murder mysteries in general and the Mousetrap specifically, it's like you, you. I was really keen that you need you didn't need to see the mousetrap to enjoy, get full enjoyment out of see how they run. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so putting myself in the place of the audience who didn't, I'd read the mousetrap and I I knew what you know what went on in it. But I think it was actually kind of useful in the end to to put myself more on the side of the audience so that you're not like just generating stuff that is, you know, this this in jokes for those who are in the know. You know, which doesn't really satisfy anyone yeah it's, it's the movie's not an advert for the mousetrap so i can see i can see how 
it's not it's not see how they run in association with the mousetrap. So I can see how you would <laughs> you would not do that. But it's also interesting that you both didn't see it. And here's the thing. It's the longest running player in the world. I don't know anyone who has seen the mousetrap. Do you know anyone who has seen it? How no, is this thing still going? I know it's weird, right? It's that Matilda, right? It's like <laughs> But you see Matilda, I walk past sometimes, you know, if the theater is, you know, closing, I see people leaving Matilda. Sure. I don't know that there's anyone leaving the mousetrap. There must be because it's still open, right? Is it, is it open again after the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. It's first thing back on on the West End. It's, uh, yeah. Wow. Nice job. Got love. That's beautiful. That thing's beautiful. unstoppable. It is absolutely unstoppable. So, uh, but okay. So let's say, for example, that you you haven't seen the mousetrap, then Sam. But in terms of yeah. a great British West End or off West End theatrical experience, what, what's what's the the one that comes to mind for you? Oh, I'd say Pillow Man at the National. It comes to mind as maybe the best experience I've seen. I, I saw Hamlet with, uh, it might have been the old Vic with uh, Ben Wishaw. Oh, that's meant to be like, a, that's meant to be a, an amazing Hamlet. Yeah, he was amazing. And and there were a few things like that. I saw Ian McKellen at the National, and I think it was Enemy of the People or something. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a few things there that had blown my mind, yeah. We talked quite a lot about Jerusalem because Sam saw that when it was yeah. when it transferred to Broadway. I saw it on Broadway 10 years ago, yeah. That really was something else. Yeah, that was special and was a, actually like really a big influence on this country in its own way. You know, it's very much from that world and like and built on that kind of, um, you know, characters in a small village where like things take on an almost mythic proportion at times and um yeah so we um that was something we talked about quite a lot that's interesting yeah that's interesting amazing and 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 tom you know going from that transitioning from something like this country to to see how they run but how was that how was that for you i'm sure it was a a bit of a challenge at times yeah i mean you obviously have like a certain amount of scale mostly due to it being a period film you know where you you have that team of designers and um and costume designers you know to realize that that world in a really vivid way um i think the thing that probably surprised me most was like how familiar it was really overall because ultimately performance always comes first for me no matter what the stylistic elements that are in play and so you're really just trying to create a place that feels like there's a small kind of crew of you making this film together on the floor rather and kind of forget about the the 200 people who are actually making the film come together, you know, and just trying to have a space where we can try things, try alternate things, um, hopefully give the cast a chance to like just do their best work and and uh, and continue to like work the the script as we go find little extra things that aren't in the script and that was the joy of working with Sam and Sersha was you know they're both such brilliant actors you know on the script but brought such an extra layer of detail and nuance to mm. both those characters and particularly in Stoppard's case you know I think there's a sort of almost silent era kind of uh character that Sam's brought into being with with Stoppard you know his, his physicality you know Sam's a great student of behavior and that I think the 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 nuance and detail and specificity that he's brought to that character is just a total a total joy you know 
well, guys, I've got to let you go, but um, I, I will say- he didn't say, even pay me to say that. He I know, but he's got to pay Eddie Marsan first and, and Martin Freeman. I have, I, I got to get Venmo and I'll, I'm going to send you some <laughs> Yeah. I think we just have PayPal over here, Sam. So we'll, we'll, it'll be fine. And if you want to, you know, you can put, put 10 pounds my way as well. I'll, I'll be happy to receive it. All good. All right. All right. Done. Done. Uh, Tom, Sam, thanks very much indeed. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, so that was Sam Rockwell and Tom George, star and director of See How They Run. And now we've heard how they talk. Should people go see See How They Run? Should they run to the theatre, Helen, and see See How They Run? I had a lot of fun with this. It, it isn't always quite as sort of precisely timed as I maybe wanted some of the comedy to be, but it has such a good cast and there are so many good jokes in it um, sort of scattered throughout that I that I still had a lovely time. And I'm very, very bad at whodunits. I never know it. So it's always a delightful surprise to me uh, to find out. So it was quite good that way. But yeah, it's, it's a good detective team because you have, as you say, Sam Rockwell's kind of grizzled, world-weary alcoholic, essentially, uh, Inspector Stoppard. And then this incredibly enthusiastic, incredibly well-meaning and incredibly inexperienced uh, PC stalker, uh, played by Saoirse Ronan, uh, teaming up to sort of, you know, do the work. So she basically does all the legwork and research and he (laughs) comes in and asks the right question that she hasn't thought of because she just doesn't have the world experience, I guess. Really, really good cast. They don't all get quite as much to do as you perhaps want for some of them, given the given the just caliber of people on offer, you know, Adrian Brody, Ruth Wilson, Harris Dickinson, Reese Shearsmith. It's 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 a it's a lot. Uh, but at the same time, they're all a lot of fun. It looks great. It's all those fifties uh, interiors and costumes and amazing dresses. Um, yeah, it felt like a proper classic whodunit comedy. I mean, it's not quite up there with Clue. But you know, it is it is very very entertaining, and and it kind of feels right for the wintry weather that we're having here in the UK at the moment. It feels like a a wintry kind of cold weather, cozy sort of a film. I had a great time. Absolutely, and listen, we don't want to repeat ourselves uh, ahead of the live show on on Saturday, uh, which is why we brought Jimbo in this week because we knew he wasn't going to be in the live show. So um, unfortunately, Jimbo hasn't seen anything except for Crimes of the Future. Unbelievable. Uh, so <laughs> After Crumbs of the Future, I may not watch anything ever again. So <laughs> He has ripped his eyes from his sockets. Um, full William Weir. He really has. Uh, so uh, I'm going to try and say different things than I'm going to say on Saturday night. But yeah, this is obviously a uh, one of the many whodunits that I think are going to come along in the wake of Knives Out's success. And yes, I'm aware that a trailer for Glass Onion drops today, but it's dropping after we're recording this. So, you know, we'll talk about it on the live show and we'll maybe talk about it the next week's show as well. Very, very excited about that film. But this one doesn't feel like a Knives Out ripoff. It, it's, it's got its own style going on. It's got its own vibe going on. Uh, It's playing with form and function and theatrical conceits and tricks in a really, really playful and uh, often very, very funny manner. And it's just great to watch a cast like this getting their teeth into into roles. Sam Rockwell's really interesting in this film because Mm. I'm sure you heard in the interview that he was he seemed to talk about his accent an awful lot. And so I wonder if he's maybe not entirely happy with his accent. Uh, I think his accent's really interesting in this film because it does, it moves around a little bit. So sometimes he's quite posh in, in one scene. In other scenes, he's maybe a little bit more cockney tinged. In some scenes, it's slightly different. And I think that's just that's just a normal thing for people's accents, by the way. If you, know, if you stopped three random bits of the show 
my accent would feel very different in one than it would in another. I think that's just something that people do. But what it also does is it keeps you guessing about him and his character and his motivations and what he's up to. And so it's a it's a very interesting mystery that turns in on itself sometimes. And it's very meta also. Oh yeah. Very, very so. meta. Lovely, lovely Too much meta touches. But- but maybe, but maybe a little good. bit, maybe a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, we had a blast with it and we gave us one four stars, four stars then for see how they run. And listen, this is exactly the kind of ensemble driven, not terribly big budget murder mystery that we keep being told they don't make anymore. And one of the reasons they don't tend to make things like this anymore is because people don't go and see them. So people go and see them and then they'll make more of them. Will this be in cinemas for 150 years? Oh, that's the question. I don't know. the long- What is the longest running movie? Uh, as a question I'm not prepared to answer. So there we go. Four stars for See How They Run. Not in cinemas this week, uh, or indeed ever, to my knowledge, is Pinocchio. Not the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio, which is going to be on Netflix towards the end of the year, which is very, very exciting indeed. But this is in the race of the Pinocchios. This is the first one to hit this year, uh, and it is exclusively on Disney+. Plus. It is one of Disney's many bountiful gifts to us all on on this very day, Thursday, 8th of September. Disney Plus Day. Happy Disney Plus Day to you, Helen. Happy uh, Disney Plus celebrate. Day to you, James. Thank you don't you. celebrate? I mean, I've watched the things, but I'm not fucking talking about Disney Plus Day. Jesus Christ. But are, are you a you're more of a Prime Day person? I, I can see. I can see that <laughs> Good you Lord. you love a bit of Prime Day. Uh, I apologize. I've insulted you and offended you, and I, I can only apologize. James is obviously much more of a Disney Plus celebrator. He's had his Disney Plus tree up for some time. Uh, he's got some presents under the Disney Plus tree, and one of those presents is Pinocchio, which has gone straight to Disney Plus. And you might be surprised by that because this is the latest film from Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks. And we've known for some time it was going to be on Disney Plus, but it also feels a little bit like this has been dumped on Disney Plus. Very little press, very little preamble, very little warning. Why, Helen? It's a weird one. That's why it's a very faithful uh, live-action update of the Disney version of the Pinocchio story. Um, so Tom Hanks. In live action, there is no sort of Polar Express CGRE in this, um, or there is a lot of it, but not around the humans. Is Geppetto? Uh, he builds a small wooden puppet uh, who's voiced by Benjamin Evan Ainsworth when he comes to life. And the wrinkle, I guess, this time that they've introduced is the fact is the idea that Geppetto had a wife and son that he lost them long ago, and that that Pinocchio is a, an attempt to create a sort of homunculus of his son. Apart from that, it's it's very very faithful to the Disney uh, version. They get rid of the smoking because it's you know not okay to show kids smoking anymore. Hooray for that! <laughs> when the kids are drinking, it's clear. <laughs> yes, it's in very so shooting much. Up? So. Shooting up is okay. Just shooting up, just shooting up. Nothing more than that. Um, just they, say yes, kids. Instead of drinking alcohol, now the kids are drinking root beer. You know, they they've softened <laughs> the edges a little bit. They've gotten rid of some of the racist bits, uh, which weren't really appropriate in the old Pinocchio. So that's good. Fair. But apart from that, it's it's the Disney Pinocchio with all its kind of tweeness and all its kind of lack of edge. Um, I really liked uh, Keegan-Michael Key in this. He plays Honest John, the sort of the foxy character. Luke Evans is the sort of demonic coachman, so he gets to sing a bit, you know, get yeah. the... Is he a that- ruddy bloody coachman? He is indeed, actually. He does go kind of red at one point. And um, and he also swears in this. He says bollocks. I don't know if Disney knows, knows what that <laughs> means. Anyway, just thought you'd want to know. But wow. apart from that, like... It's it's a film about an animated character in the middle. 
you know, who who looks like a Disney cartoon and everybody else looks pretty real. Do you think they missed a trick by going CGI and not going full Team America? <laughs> I mean... Pinocchio! <laughs> fuck yeah! I would have watched that. Well, I mean, that's what, that's what Guillermo del Toro is presumably doing with his puppets, right? He's gone full but Team America, yes. I, I just don't know that I needed this at all. And I know that's true of a lot of Disney animations, but this one or this live action updates of animations, but this one doesn't feel like it adds a huge amount. And, you know, I love Tom Hanks. I think he's great. But the way he strains to avoid singing while delivering, (laughs) by the way, rhyming dialogue, you know, distressed me. So hang on. A member of the Hanks family is rapping? Oh, God. And it's not Chet Hayes. (laughs) I wouldn't want to call it that ever. uh, Okay. And also not in this case. Um, But, you know... Well, but yeah, it's it's interesting this one because you say it doesn't add a lot to the story, but it somehow adds half an hour to the story. And uh, a part of that yeah. for me is that this thing yeah. is glacially paced. Mm. You're just waiting for a, a, a little bit of life, a little bit of fatality to to be added to proceedings, and it just seems weirdly woefully lacking. I admired Hanks's performance because how can you not admire Tom Hanks' performance? I admire his commitment along with this and Colonel Tom Parker and Elvis to suddenly just busting out weird accents in this, <laughs> in, this in his later career and just going, fuck it, I've spoken like Tom Hanks all my life. Now I'm going to do weird accents. Uh, more power to you, Tom. But this movie yeah. just made me feel a little bit sad for... I wouldn't say the ongoing decline of Robert Zemeckis, but certainly we're talking about pre his segue, his stepping away from movies to do the, all these animated movies like Beowulf and Polar Express, obviously. We're talking about one of the great live action filmmakers of modern times. And since he's come back, and we all know he didn't want to come back, he wanted to spend time in his volume and his imaginarium playing with you know CG movies. Since he's come back... I, the quality control just doesn't seem to be there. The Robert Zemeckis who was there before Beowulf and Christmas Carol and, and Polar Express seems to have gone mm. somewhat. And what's left behind is is a director who makes fine movies, okay movies. Flight was really good, but everything else since mm. has just been, it's been a, 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 a law of diminishing returns has kicked in. Yeah, I I don't really know who this movie is for because it's so faithful to the original. That that opening 10 minutes, as you say, is absolutely glacial. By the time Pinocchio wakes up, essentially, I think every kid watching will have gone to sleep. So I I just, yeah, I don't know how how well it's going to work. But, you know, meh. I sat down to watch this last night and could not log in to the screening portal, which is the only reason I haven't seen Pinocchio. However, I have now realised that that was entirely human error and I was clicking the wrong login path on the screening, which is, to be fair, arcane and incredibly dense and elliptical and hard to navigate. But I, uh, it, so it was entirely my fault. So it is my own fault that I was not able to watch Pinocchio and instead had to watch the other film. The other film being Crimes of the Future. Yeah, so two stars for Pinocchio. Yes, two stars indeed for Pinocchio, but Crimes of the Future is up next. It is the latest film from David Cronenberg. Uh, I can think of no one better to review this movie <laughs> than James Dyer. Oh, God. So... David Cronenberg made a film called Crimes of the Future in 1970. This is not that film. It is not a remake of that that film. It is not really related to that film in any way at all. Um, He also hasn't made a horror film since 1999, Existence. So it's been 23 years. I wouldn't call Existence a horror film. I wouldn't say it's a horror film. You wouldn't say it's a horror film. 
No, pure sci-fi. Well, it's a sci-fi yeah. horror, I think. It's pretty horrific. I, yeah, there's body horror in there's it. There's all on. sorts of like bone of guns and stuff being pulled out of dogs, and it's not nice. David Cronenberg could make the uh, film version of Bluey, and there'd I mean, be body fair. horror in it. That is fair. Yeah, Bluey would be cutting off Bingo's wings or wings, <laughs> wings. It'd be a dog with wings. It would have wings, dog and it would cut them off. Wings, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, okay. So, so this is this is his first horror film or not since Existence. That said, he has been trying to make this since about 2003. So it's been a long time in development. And really that period of time, which is, you know, the better part of 20 years is how long I felt I spent watching it last night. So, oh God, this is a film set in an unspecified future time in which people are growing vestigial organs. Essentially, mankind's evolution is sort of is, is gone off the rails. It's gone a bit berserk and sort of in a kind of, I guess, reference to sort of cancerous growth. People are growing vestigial organs, which they then have to have catalogued and removed because the state is trying to police evolution. And in the midst of that, most people don't feel pain, incidentally, because that's no longer a thing that we deal with. And they don't get ill either. So infection isn't really an issue. And because you don't really feel a lot of pain and because you don't really get infection, there is a thing for public theatre operations. So surgery is now high art. So at the moment, we watch Netflix. In the future, we'll be watching people cut bits of themselves off on stage. Enter Viggo Mortensen, who plays Saul Tensor, and he is a performance artist who grows vestigial organs while sleeping in a weird womb-like alien sack, uh, and then goes on stage where his partner, Caprice, played by Leia Sidhu, cuts them out of him and tattoos them in the process. And this, as with so many things with this film, is supposed to be entertainment. Now, I don't even know where to start with this. There is a plot, and it is at once incredibly paper-thin and pointless, but also entirely inscrutable and hard to follow. Well, certainly was for me. The film starts with a mother smothering her child, and that, if it can be believed, is one of the least upsetting things in this film. Um, it is... But the thing is, look, okay, it's disgusting, it's upsetting, it's revolting, it's horrifying, it's shocking. These are obviously all things it's intended to be. This is a David Cronenberg movie. I don't like David Cronenberg movies, so this is clearly not aimed at me. But, I mean, I found this incredibly difficult to watch. That, Like, if you really want to see... Like, but it's, 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 it's that juxtaposition of, of, of uh, disgust and eroticism. Like, you've got a naked Leia Sidhu having, like, scalpels cutting into her chest like it's just it's really upsetting and horrible but it also moves very slowly and it doesn't really go anywhere interesting it certainly didn't for me like the plot just seems so pointless to me it seemed like something to get them to the next scene where someone's pulling some sort of cancerous lump out of a body cavity or a guy who is quite literally all ears comes out and cavorts on stage um I, 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 to say I struggled with this, I think is an understatement. I think I texted you off this and went, what the fuck did I just watch? Just like, it was just, I didn't need it. I don't think mm -hmm. ever in my life I will need this film, but at the moment I, with everything going on, I definitely didn't need it. That said, Simon Crook, who reviewed it for us, who I know loves horror and loves Cronenberg, gave this four stars and he, he was very, very taken with it. And I kind of think if you are an old school Cronenberg nut and you love his you know, penchant for really disturbing body horror. This mm -hmm. might be your jam. I can tell you, whatever the bright centre to my jam is, this is the film that it's farthest from. <laughs> the bright centre to your jam. <laughs> I feel like you're storing your jam wrong, James. I may be. I may be. But this was just a whole world of yuck. Well, in other news, Pinhead loves this movie, but Helen, 
Did you uh, love this movie? I, I, I appreciate that he has a vision. I appreciate that he has a style. I thought it looked stylish. I thought Viggo Mortensen was really good. I could not have given less of a shit about any person in it. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't like anything that was happening. I didn't think it said anything very powerful about where we are, or where we're going. Um, I, I, I just, I, I thought there was too much plot to be completely plotless and just a tone poem, but too little plot to be a plot-driven film. I just wasn't here for it. No. And like the effects on one point, on one hand, you get sort of quite graphic, believable body horror. And then he eats in a chair that looks like an effect out of the sort of early eighties, like this weird Muppet membrane chair, which just waggles when he sits in it. I, mm. Yeah. I don't know what was going on here. Well, I haven't seen it yet, but like Crookie, I am a, a big fan, especially of early Cronenberg, uh, you know, Scanners and Videodrome and The Brood and uh, Rabbit and Shivers and things like that. And so if this is him back on that sort of squeamish body horror form, then I am going to make time to watch it. You better believe it. Better to get, better not get it mixed up with Bluey. Otherwise, it's got some explaining to do. Uh, but yes, we get this one four stars. Four stars ever crimes of the future. A horror film that I know Helen had a better time with is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Yes, I did very much so. This is um, your classic kind of horror setup. A bunch of extremely good-looking people go to a house for a weekend. There's going to be a storm, but they're going to have a great time having a party. And if the party gets slow, well, they'll just play a game of bodies, 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 which is, you know, you get a slip of paper saying if you're a murderer and then you have to creep around and quote-unquote murder someone. Only problem is actual people start dying and then the survivors have to figure out what's going on. Is there a serial killer in their midst? If so, who? Is it something more supernatural, more weird, more scary, more bad? Who knows? Bodies, bodies, bodies. I <laughs> liked this. I didn't always love it. Um, I think it gets to an interesting place, but it doesn't always have um, quite the right uh, pacing on the way there. Some characters get forgotten a bit about for times and then come back into play. Um, some really, really good, fun, funny performances. It is a very funny comedy hor horror. You know, there is there is a lot of tension here, but it is also genuinely entertaining, which doesn't go without saying today. This is, I think, the debut feature by Helena Rain, and I think it's a it's a very very strong start because she's got a really good really good feel of the dynamics of this group this uh, group of friends who have somewhat fallen out. There's a lot of kind of tension among them, um, but there is also connection, shared history, and everything else. The mm. the sort of jostling for position between Pete Davidson's character and Lee Pace's character, or at least just on the part of Pete Davidson's character, David, not on the part of Lee, Lee Pace's character, Greg, at all, who just doesn't care, um, I thought was beautifully, beautifully played. Um, but really, it's about uh, the, this group of girls led by Amanda Stenberg and Maria Bakalova from Borat, nearly losing their minds as they experience these crazy goings on. I, yeah, I enjoyed it. It, it surprised me. So it picks up Lee Pace, but it needs to pick up Le Pace. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> a little bit at times, yeah. But it, it's not it's not super long, but just there are moments where it sort of lags a little bit and you're not quite sure what's okay. happening. So, yeah. All right. Sounds good. I haven't had a chance to see that one or indeed Crimes of the Future yet, but uh, I am very excited to do so. So four stars in for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And Helen, real quick, I know you wanted to mention the film called The Score. Yeah, I did. And unfortunately, not in a good way. This is a, has a great, great oh. cast. It's Johnny Flynn and Will Poulter and Naomi Aki. Really, really good people. It is billed as a heist musical. I didn't really think it worked as either, I'm afraid, but I sat through it. So I thought I'd share with you 
my take on it. I, I thought the music didn't really add much to it. It wasn't the most, it's not catchy songs and not every musical has to be, but these were very much on the dirgy side, which somewhat took away from the pace of the film, uh, which was already pretty pretty slowly paced. So you might be tempted to go see it because of the people in it. I maybe just wouldn't have it at the top of your priority list this week. It's a busy week in cinemas. I would personally move that down a couple of notches on your priority list. That's all I'm saying. All right. We don't have an Empire review of that one yet, but Helen sounds like she's in the two-star camp. Yeah, yeah very so. I mean, yeah, there's some really good you know, bits of performance, as you'd expect from that cast, but I just didn't mm. think it hung together. Good songs? Sorry. No. No. Okay, and so two stars then for the score. That is the score for the score. And that is the score for this week's Empire Podcast. Hooray, we have made it to the end. Now it's time for another four-week break for me. Another four-week break? My God. Getting a one-day break would be nice. Anyway, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... Well, our guest from Saturday Night's live show... Is going to be on next week's show. You're going to be hearing that interview nicely clipped and inserted into the next week's show lovingly. And the other guest is up in the air at the moment, so I don't want to say any. Oh my god, names. they're flying! Yes, but if uh, if all goes well, there's a film out next week called Clerks Three or Clarks Three, depending on your pronunciation. And uh, and yeah, so there we go. The director of that film might be on this podcast. He wasn't even supposed to be here today, or. Anyway, Kevin Smith. Yay! <laughs> there you go. Uh, hoping to uh, get that one in the bag for next week as well. But anyway, until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning who now have to run off and work hard on delivering, delivering, delivering the aims of this podcast. Mm. It is goodbye from Squadcast Names because we're doing this remotely today. Um, should be back in the studio next week. But is goodbye from I invoke the right of Sigin Tarag. I do. Oh, good God. It's James Dyer. We need to break rocks together. We do, don't we? That is from your new film, The, the Hobbit, or whatever it is. The, yes. the, new TV the Lord show. of the Rings, yes. the rings of Power. <laughs> yes. By the way, our first spoiler special episode for that is up right now for spoiler special subscribers. And, and through a series of unfortunate circumstances, I ended up hosting that one. So, yeah. It's basically me just going, I didn't understand this, please explain it to me. And then Helen and Dan explained it to me in uh, in relatively unnerdy terms. Yeah, Sounds we good. tried. Mm-hmm. We tried. Uh, we tied. It's also goodbye from Pinocchio No. <laughs> Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Toodaloo. Um, I've seen episode three of Lord of the Rings. Squee! It's really good. Have you now? Mm. I've seen episode 43 of Bluey. It's even better. It's so uh, good. <laughs> it's so amazing. Anyway, it's goodbye for me as well. Bandit Hewitt. Bandit, because Bandit is the name of Bluey's dad, the greatest dad. Oh, good God. Oh, oh no, I'm banging on about Bluey. And I said specifically, I would not bang on about Bluey. Anyway, his that's it for Bandit. me. His dad is called Bandit. Oh, because earlier on you said his dad Bandit, to which I was going to say, why? Was, was there swearing in it? Because ba- ba- Bandit. Anyway, probably time to go, eh, James? Yeah. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.